Don't y'all love that music? <laughs> well, welcome to worship once again this morning, especially to those of you who may be joining us for the first time today or tuning in for the first time today. We want you to know that you're always welcome here at the Way Woodstock, a movement of God here in the heart of the city of Woodstock, where we are committed to sharing the love of Jesus Christ. How? Sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Now today, we're going to continue in this journey we've gone through this summer of words of Jesus, the red letters that we find oftentimes in those gospel accounts, and many of which sometimes find us asked or challenged by asking, did he really say that? And I guarantee you today is another one of those that is going to challenge us, challenge me. Uh, But it's also a bit of a head scratcher. This has to do with the den of robbers and cursing a fig tree. Bizarre, right? So turn with me to see what these two things have to do together. We're going to go to the Gospel of Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament. Uh, It's the oldest of the Gospel accounts, biographies of Christ's life. And we're going to turn to chapter 11. And I'm going to read for us beginning in verse 12 today. Listen to God's word for us. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, but it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city in the morning. As they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me this morning? Abba, Father. I can call you that because of Jesus. And how he taught us to pray. God, we enter into your gentle and yet your awesome majesty and presence this morning. I thank you for the worship we've already encountered and participated in. And I'm eager to see and to hear what you have for each and every one of us. So God, open our ears, open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to what you would have us to hear of your word. and That you would get me out of the way, your servant, so that your word would be proclaimed. So God, may the meditations of all of our hearts and minds and may the words of my mouth be 
pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And all of God's children said, amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but, but when I first read this, this cursing of a fig tree and, and, and everything that's going on in the temple, I sat there and said, really? I mean, really? Did Jesus really just call down, may no one ever eat of the fruit from you again? I mean, did he really curse a fig tree? I mean, what did this fig tree ever do to Jesus, right? And, 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 and Mark tells us, and Matthew likewise, in his recounting of this encounter, says that it wasn't even seasoned for fruit. So what gives? I think it's a fair question to ask. Did Jesus really say this? I can't help but think that Mark in some ways was wondering, did he really say this? But he goes on to document for us. And the disciples did hear him say it. And then you fast forward a few verses and we find that that fig tree's toast. It's like any of us standing out in the summer heat in Georgia. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, it's withered to the root. And, and Peter's so astonished. He sits there and he, he cries out, Rabbi, did you look, look, this fig tree you cursed has withered. He's amazed at what has happened to this fig tree after Jesus called down thunder, if you will, on it. And sandwiched in between Jesus' cursing of this fig and the withering of this fig, we find Jesus going Indiana Jones on those that are setting up a market there in the temple. Can I get an amen? I mean, all four accounts, gospel accounts, attest to this temple tantrum that Jesus is having. I mean, he, he's tossing tables. He's flipping over benches. He's pushing out the money changers. He's pushing out those that are selling and buying. He's tossing out those that are trying to sell pigeons and, and doves for the sacrifice. And you sit there and say, what in the world is going on? And that had to have been what was going on in the minds of those around as they saw him go through in clear the temple courts that day. Only for them to hear him say this as they lean in, as, as we note that he's teaching them. It says, is not it written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Mic drop. Exit left, right? I mean, look at this. You talk about lowering the boom. Jesus' words and his actions here lead me to ask, what gives? Is Jesus just simply having a bad day? Is he just so hungry that it's gone to his head and he's hangry? What's got him so angry this day that he's cursing a fig and he's turning the tables over and he's calling those out that are there in the outer temple? What's got in his crawl, if you will? What's going on here in this story? And have you ever stopped to wonder, what's it got to do with figs anyway? What's, it got, what's, what's the connection between a fig tree and his turning the tables in the temple? Well, by placing the temple scene, sandwiched, if you will, in between the, cur- the cursing of the fig and the, and the withering of the fig, suggests to us that these two stories are one and the same. They have the same message, if you will. This is what we find with, with Mark and Matthew both accounting to, for the, 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 the woman. Do you remember the woman that was hemorrhaging for years and reached out to touch the hem of the garment of Jesus in hopes of being healed? It happened in the middle of Jesus on his way to Jairus' house and the healing of Jairus' daughter. You, you see, Mark and Matthew, and in this case Mark in this telling, is drawing our attention to that, that these indeed are interlinked in many ways. So let's unpack this a little bit this morning. 
Let's start with figs. How many of y'all like figs? I like fig newtons, but I don't like figs. I'm just going to confess that out front, all right? You give me a fig newton all day long. But here's a little known fact. I, I was in horticulture. I got a landscape design degree, but I did not take orchard management, so I had to go research this. Figs push out these little knobby, green, less desirable fruit early on in the season. You can eat them. In fact, a lot of the impoverished in that day would go and eat them, and those would be pushed off the plant in order to make room for the more desirable, larger fruit that most of you probably enjoy eating from a fig tree. And so Jesus, seeing this fig tree leafed out, he would have anticipated that it would have already had those little knobbies, those little less desirable fruit on the plant. So when he comes to it and it doesn't have that fruit, while it's yet not seasoned for the fruit, the fruit that you and I would like to eat, what he's indicating here is that this tree is barren. Now here's something else that's important to note about figs. When you think about America, there's something iconic in the bald eagle, right? Bald eagle is synonymous with the nation, that is, the United States. Well, the fig tree is synonymous with the nation of Israel. So Jesus cursing the fig tree is really an indictment on Israel's worship. You see, it seems that the leaves on the fig tree and the activity in and around the temple are both concealing something. A lack of fruit. A lack of fruit. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking that Jesus seeing the money changers and and those that are selling pigeons is what upset him. But that's not at the heart of what really is angering Jesus. In fact, those things were necessary. You zoom out and you look at this context. Jesus has just ridden in high the day before into Jerusalem. This is where they're shouting, Hosanna in the highest. He's coming in for the Passover meal. Thousands from across the Roman Empire, from different languages, different currencies, but all Jewish in faith were coming to celebrate the Passover meal. And so it was anticipated, it was expected, it was normal for money changers to be there to exchange the different local currencies into a common one to be used there. And likewise, God really discouraged you bringing a sacrifice from long distances. I mean, the thing might die on the way there, right? And so he actually set it up so that you would be able to purchase an animal for sacrifice there in Jerusalem. So it's not that there are money changers and that there are dove sellers there that's at issue for Jesus. It's where it's taking place. The temple courts. Because after all, this is a place dedicated for worship and they've turned it into a place of business. And it begs the question, how might we be doing the same thing today how might we be doing the same thing today you see by filling the outer courts with this activity the people had in effect crowded out the more important activity worship worship of god rather than it be a house of prayer jesus saying you've turned it into a den of robbers this isn't necessarily jesus's first time saying this in fact they would have been familiar with this this was not lost on those listening in that day especially the teachers of that day because jesus is calling back and referring to the words god had placed on jeremiah's lips centuries before these words listen to this in jeremiah 7 we find this will you steal and murder commit adultery and perjury burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. 
Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. But I have been watching. God wasn't just watching in the days of Jeremiah. God was watching in that day when Jesus was at the temple too. In fact, God was in their presence. In the flesh, no less. Jesus was standing there in their midst, watching. In fact, if you look back just a few verses from what we read, we find that after having ridden high on that donkey, I don't know why he rode on a donkey. I mean, I know that it was prophesied that, but I wouldn't want to ride on a donkey, would you? The first thing he does, we find, is that he goes to the temple and he looks around. But it's late at night, so he leaves for Bethany. And and I can't help but wonder if he stayed up all night struggling with what he saw taking place in the temple, a place of worship of Yahweh that day. Because what he saw upset him deeply. He saw people that had lost sight of what worship was all about conversing with God. You see, in many ways, they were just going through the motions and they were missing the point rather than the person. They were missing God, God's presence among them there in the temple. And in this case, Jesus, God in the flesh, standing besides them, which begs the question, what about us? What about you today? What about me today? What does Jesus see in the midst of our worship today? Could it be that in some ways we are not unlike those in that day? Showing up and going through the motions. Any of y'all check off the box, say, yep, I went to church today. Any of y'all done that? Anybody guilty of that? You know, go to church rather than be the church. Could it be that we go through the motions and miss that God is in our midst? Could it be that, that we... In some ways, we too have lost sight of the heart of worship. We've sung about that this morning. You see, i got news for you today. God's in our midst. We didn't come here to commemorate a dead man, did we? We came to celebrate a risen Lord, Jesus Christ, who arose from the grave. He died on the cross to forgive us. He rose from the grave to set us free from sin. That is who we are here to worship today. And what does Jesus say? Where there are two or more gathered... Come on, y'all are quiet this morning. Where two or more are gathered, there he is also. Jesus is in our midst today, y'all. The risen Lord. And so perhaps these words of Jesus that were meant to, to, to startle them and to get their attention maybe are needed by us today, needed by me, needed by you, needed by us to grab our attention and put it back on the object of our worship or call attention to what we really are worshiping. Are we worshiping him? What is the heart of worship anyway? What what, what is true worship? Well, God reveals throughout all of Scripture what what worship of him really ought to look like, what, what he calls and what he invites his created, you and me, to do as we enter into his presence and to worship. And so we see that also explicitly and implicitly in this passage. And so just give me a minute, but allow me to point out four things that I think are evident in true worship, in authentic worship. And the first one is this, awe and reverence for God. Awe and reverence for God. Jesus was referring not only to Jeremiah, but also Isaiah when he's talking about the house of worship. And and so 
I go back to Isaiah and I think about his discovering that he was in the presence of God. Do you remember it in Isaiah 6? He, he, he writes this. He says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim with six wings. Two of them were covering their eyes. Two were covering their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then, he goes on saying, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And you know what he said? Holy smokes! Woe is me! He cried out, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people. He's not calling just himself out, but the rest of y'all, so I can call y'all out, right? I can call myself out, right? A man of unclean lips, a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. Lord Almighty. Now, I don't know about you, but that's all, y'all. That's reverence. That's fear in a high and holy way of recognizing what it's like to stand in the presence of a holy and mighty God. You realize that that's where we are. That's where we sit today in this moment. We're in the presence of a high and holy God. There should be an awe and a reverence amongst us. Now, I know some of y'all got, got rid of me the other day because I wore my Jesus sandals when I was preaching outside. Y'all know, come on, you can call me out on it, right? My Tevas. You know, when it talks about awe and reverence of God, it's not about what you wear. You know, do you want to wear your best before God? You sure. But what is it that Jesus called out the Pharisees that had the long tassels and everything? He said they're whitewashed tombs. He was talking about the heart. The sense of awe, it comes from within you. Not in what you wear, but, but what, what's coming out of you when you realize that you're in the presence of a holy God. Moses had to take off his sandals, no less, when he was in the presence of a high and holy God. If y'all want to take your shoes off, take them off. Even if you hadn't washed your feet, it's okay. Take them off. And awe and reverence of God. Here's the second thing, though. And Isaiah alludes to this. When he says, woe is me, I'm a man of ruined lips. You see, we should have a remorse over and, and a disposition of our sin toward confession. Remorse over and confession on our sin. This is what we see Isaiah speaking to. when He talks about being a man of unclean lips. And, and, and you think about it, Jeremiah, the, the, the text that Jesus is, is drawing their attention back to. Jeremiah was really troubled with the duplicity of Israel and they're worshiping God while being comfortable doing things that were undesirable to God. You see, I think Jesus was pointing them back to that to, 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 to suggest perhaps in some ways they were doing the same thing. They're they standing in the presence of God and they got really comfortable with that, but they were going out and doing things that were undesirable for God, which begs the question, have we become a little too casual and comfortable with our own pride, greed, lust, Coveting, bitterness, unforgiveness, fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you may be feeling that you're holding on to. I heard David Platt once unpack this. And David Platt's a prolific and gifted preacher. You'd love to have him here. Maybe you need to hire him one day. But he was unpacking this and he said this. He says, it's dangerous to get comfortable with worship without awareness of our sin. Let me say that again. It's dangerous to get comfortable with worship without awareness 
of our sin. You see, true worship includes a sincere confession and a true remorse over our sins, both individually and collectively. After all, what is it that Jesus said? His very first words that Mark captures. If you go all the way back to the very first chapter of Mark, the first red letters you find is that the kingdom of God has come near. And he goes on to say, and repent. We don't like that word, do we? And believe in the good news, he says. Now to repent is to, to turn. It's to make a 180 from, the, from walking in the ways of the world and the lust of the flesh and our personal desires to turning toward God and, and seeking His heart's desire for our lives. That's what repentance is about. It's about a 180. Now, I was in worship this past week at Rekindle the Flame. Any of y'all were there, you know that it, it went on for two and a half, three hours every time we worshiped. It was amazing. But one morning, one of the, the, the speakers made this point. He says, you know, you know us as Christians, oftentimes we, we're, we're more of 360 than 180. We come to God and we come to the altar of God and then we turn around and 180 right back out into the ways of the world, into things that spiritually are killing us. I was convicted that day. How about you? Are there things that we, we pivot on Sunday morning and we pivot right back out to beat the Baptist and talk bad and tip bad on Sunday afternoon, right? We get right back to it sometimes, don't we? Remorse and confession of our sin. There's this awe in God's presence. There's a sense of remorse and confession toward our sin. And then this. When we become aware that we're in the presence of an awesome and mighty God. And we recognize our unholiness and our confession of that. Well, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter for worship. And that's this. Faithful and forgiving prayer. You, you see, in the epicenter of what I call the fig tree sandwich... I mean, you think about this, you know, the, the bread is the, the cursing and then the lower bun part of it is, is the withering of the fig tree, right? And the meat of what's happening here is the temple tantrum that he's having. But the sweet spot in the middle of that sandwich, Jesus says, my house will be called what? A house of prayer. And I don't know about y'all, but y'all ever get one of those big club sandwiches that has to be held together by something else? So you put like a, one of those little straws and it's got a little flag or one of those little twirly things on top. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the, the thing that holds it all together is what Jesus is saying at the very end of this. Listen to what he says. He says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. Received it. Past tense. Already got it. And it will be yours. And when you stand, not if, but when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. I don't know about you, but perhaps one of the greatest mountains in my life, in your life, is that mountain of unforgiveness that gets between us and other people. Anybody there this morning? Anybody harboring hurt this morning? Anybody been hurt this morning? Can I at least get a hand on that part? All of us, I think, have been hurt in one way. You know, <laughs> perhaps that's why Jesus said what he says here and what he says elsewhere when he talks about prayer, when he teaches us to pray. Even what we know of as the Lord's Prayer today, what does he says? He's, he teaches us to say, forgive us our trespasses as what? As we forgive those who trespass against us. You see, here's the thing this morning. 
our ability to even enter into the presence of God, a holy God that cannot allow anything unholy to be in His presence. The only way that you and I can enter into and be in the presence of God is because of what Jesus Christ did for you and what He did for me. What God did, he, He moved mountains on heaven and earth by sending His Son to die for you, to die for me, to shed His blood, not only to forgive us, but through His resurrection to free us from our sinfulness. And I don't know about you, but when I begin to grapple with that reality, that he moved that mountain between me and him, <laughs> there isn't any other mountain in any other relationship I have that cannot be moved in my life. If I don't just call upon his name. You see, it's not about a question of his ability to move it. It's a question of our willingness To ask him to move it for us. How many of us have a mountain in front of us right now? A struggle, work, a relationship, friendship, a marriage. What is it? Whatever it is. How many of us have a mountain? Maybe this morning is a time in which we need to start calling out to God. You know, sometimes we complain about how big our mountains are, but maybe we need to go to a God and tell, or go to our mountains and tell them how big our God is. Can I get an amen to that? There's some mountains that need to move today. I know it. I see it. I see it in my own life. I see it in this community of faith. An awe, a reverence, a sense of remorse and confession of sin, a a time of entering into a conversation with God. That's what prayer really all is, in a a faithful way, in in a heart of forgiveness, knowing the forgiveness that he has for us should lead us to one last thing. True worship should also include a love and concern for all nations people and races you see part of what upsets jesus in this passage is where this is taking place in the outer courts when you when you think about the temple maybe maybe you don't remember this or maybe you've never even been had this unpacked for you but but that temple there was a place of the holy of holies there's a a 40 foot curtain it was a foot thick that that separated the presence of god from the people of god but they could come and be there and and the high priest they would draw straws you know the short stick got the got the opportunity to go into the holy of holies just for a few moments to offer the sacrifice before god and they had to have a rope tied around them because if they passed out or died no one else could go in after them and they had to pull them out that's how high of a regard they held for the presence of god but right outside that was courts set up for Jewish people. Men and women had their designated spots where they could come and enter into the presence of God in praise of God. And then the outer courts, well, that was another place that had been dedicated and reserved for the Gentiles. Those that not had been born into the covenant of Abraham. Those God-fearing people seeking this God that they had heard about to be able to enter into the presence. It's here. Where the merchants had set up, where they were exchanging of money and they were trying to sell pigeons, they had crowded out the very place for those on the outside. The message they were sending is, you're not welcome here. You're not welcome here. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer for what? All nations. All nations. Yeah, this past week, we, we had several ministry leaders gather together. and We began to, 
to dream and, and to discern and to map out. You know, y'all know me. I like whiteboards, right? Well, imagine putting 18 months on big sticky notes. Oh, yeah. That's what we did this past week. We, we got off campus and out of our routine, and we went to a sister's church, Canton First Methodist, and we began to discern mission and ministry for 2024. And in that, we were exciting and we were anticipating that Latimer Hall, praise be to God and by his grace, hopefully it's going to be open by the end of this year. Can I get an amen to that? And it was going to allow us to move some ministries around. And we were cognizant of how that impact's going to be on us as a community. And we're praying through that. But we also recognize that in doing that, what it does is it opens up all three of these buildings for an expansion of mission and ministry opportunities to the community. So we began to list those on the board. What, what could happen in Georgia Dawson? What could happen in, in Latimer Hall? What could happen in the sanctuary beyond what we're already able and willing and putting our time and talents to today? And it was an exciting time. And we even looked at the green too. And, and then we began to look at the community and we, and we were looking at things where we've already have a tremendous inroads and in establishing relationships out in the community. It's pretty exciting to see when you put those on the board. But then we came to this thing where we went from local to global. And I had to draw a big old question mark. There was a void. And, and where our focus was in terms of ministry, we were, we were focusing a lot here, and I'm not criticizing that. But there's this call to all nations. The people across the street, the people in your neighborhood, the people across the nation, the people across God's world. You see, I'm convicted more than ever that this vision of making room, God isn't just speaking about making room in our homes or on this campus, but in our schedules to go across the street and to go across the globe to proclaim the good news. Because I got news for you. Every single one of us sitting here today, we've heard the word of the gospel because those Jewish disciples, yes, Jewish disciples, chose to go beyond what they knew. Jesus commanded his disciples to go make disciples of what? Y'all are asleep this morning. What did he say? He called to go make disciples of what? All nations. And before the coming of the Holy Spirit, he said, hey, you're going to be, you know, when that Holy Ghost party starts, you're going to be my witness where? Here in Jerusalem and also to Judea and to Samaria and where? To the ends of the earth. I love what David Platt also says, as it relates to this, he says, we don't exist to make our nation great, but to share his great name to the nations. Let me say that again. We don't exist to make our nation great, but to share his great name to the nations. Folks, our worship's not limited to just as time here this morning or in this space. It's a way of living. It's a way of living much like in our mission statement of sharing and hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. So who's that other for you? Who's that Gentile in your life? person not like you. You know, like the Samaritan at the well that Jesus went to. Who, who is that for you that God's calling you to go to? Maybe it's across the street. Maybe it's across town. Maybe... It's in another part of the world. Can I get an amen to that? An awe and reverence of God. A remorse and confession of sin. Prayer that is faithful and faith-filled and also forgiving. 
and then a concern for all nations. This is what true worship looks like. And Jesus wasn't seeing it take place that day when he walked into those temple courts. Did Jesus really curse a fig and turn some tables? You bet he did. <laughs> because he saw what was happening was fruitless. I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up. And not like a pineapple. I know Russ is wearing pineapple here today. We had someone wearing a pear earlier. <laughs> Fruit of the Spirit's not a pineapple. I won't go there. It's a song. Ask Claire. She'll teach you the song. Folks, we're on holy ground. We're in the presence of the most awe-inspiring, awesome, holy God. And he wants to speak this morning. And he also is inviting you to talk to him. So I'm going to invite you, just as Jesus said here, he, he, he says, when you stand. How many, you know, when you think about prayer, often... And I do it. I did it even today. I came to the rail because what did I do? I took a posture of humility by kneeling. But, but they worshiped and they praised God. And you know the posture they took when they prayed? Like this. What does this signify in terms of your posture? An openness. An expectancy to receive. Some of us are holding on to bitterness or pride or unforgiveness or something. Like that. You know, when you hold your hands like this, can you, can you grab a hold of what God's got for you? You can't. Some of us can't see past the mountain in front of us today. Would you be willing to reach up, open your hands, and allow God to move that mountain for you? He wants to speak to you. And I guarantee you, as you do, he's going to put someone or some group of people that probably aren't like you. That's the nation, that's the people, that's the race he's calling you to reach out to. Would you be willing to do that, church? So as they play, I want to invite you to stand. What? Come on, stand. Stand as you're able. You've been sitting, you've been listening to me way too long. I want to invite you to pray this morning. Pray out loud if you're comfortable doing it. Raise your hands if you're willing to to signify a willingness to receive what God has for you this morning. Would you be willing to do that this morning, church? Let's get to praying. Let's get to praising. Take the time now that God is affording you in this moment. Don't let this be a fruitless time this morning. We all have something we need to give over to God and we all have something we desire from God. Would you ask him this morning? Let's ask him.